0: Welcome to the Harvard Center for International Development Podcast. We'll be continuing Beyond COVID Podcast, a series of conversations with faculty experts on various dimensions of COVID response and recovery. Through these conversations and CID's Beyond COVID Research Initiatives, our goal is to use lessons learned and capitalize on innovations sparked by the pandemic and address losses and reimagine global development in the post-COVID era. My name is Sohee Young, and I'm a Master in Public Policy candidate at the Harvard Kennedy School and a CID student ambassador. This week, we'll be joined by Rafaela Sedon, Professor of Business Administration in the Strategy Unit at Harvard Business School. Today, we'll be exploring her current research that tries to understand whether and how management and organizational practice affect how hospitals manage their response to COVID-19 health crisis. Rafaela, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. So, so far, I learned that you've collected data on 1,700 hospitals and their managerial capabilities, level of staff burnout and turnover rate, and changes in organizational structure around non-COVID-related crisis. So, let's start with the basics to help our audience understand your research. Can you briefly explain the premise of the research that you're doing right now? And more specifically, how are you defining organizational management capacity? And why do you think it matters for hospitals ability to respond to COVID?
1: Yeah. Okay, great. So we should, uh, you know, this research actually dates back at least 15 years ago. So when I was still a PhD student, I started together with my advisors and co-authors, Nick Blum and John Mendin and our research agenda that aimed at mapping the quality of management practices in organizations. We started from the private sector and then eventually we developed, uh, and I continued developing this research in the context of hospitals. What is the key to to this research line? What is the premise as, as you were asking? We basically found a way typically through uh, structured interviews, to understand whether the hospital adopts basic management practices that have to do with the management of patients, the layout of patients, for example, how uh, staff is promoted or, you know, retrained or, or rotated out of the hospitals or laid off if there is underperformance, how goals are set for the organization and what happens if a goal is not met. So these are what i call the you know basic management practices that are in principle not rocket science not hard to understand But in practice, it turns out through this extensive work of interviews that there is vast variation in the adoption of these basic management practices and in the quality, therefore, of management in hospitals. This variation, which we found is substantial, and it exists both across and within countries, is also strongly correlated with clinical outcomes. So, you know, on the one level, you, you can say, you know, why do we care about management in a context that is not, you know, profit driven and maybe it doesn't matter at all? Well, it turns out that in, these internal organizational factors actually do tend to correlate with clinical outcomes. And therefore, as a patient, you know, you really care whether, you know, you get in a place where everybody knows what type of process they should be following and there is a systematic approach towards management versus a place that may be more chaotic or less. Uh, careful. Uh, and you know this speaks to uh, to many levels of the of, of clinical care, like, uh, you know mistakes that are being made or or um, uh, conditions in which it's important to coordinate across different players. So that's the premise. I'm coming from this longstanding research which shows the relevance of management during sort of a stable time. Now, what happened with COVID? COVID is, as we know, has been a tremendous shock for hospitals, which has created a surge in the demand for services. Hospitals were unprepared, in, typically, uh, even uh, here in the United States, which was hit relatively later after Europe. And so, what happens is that this immediate surge in patients uh, required a tremendous reorganization, closing down lines of services that did not exist, that were not urgent. Uh, if you may recall, there are you know, non, uh, non-urgent uh, lines of services were immediately postponed. We're still coping with the with the delays that have been sort of accumulated over time. But even more importantly, there, there has been a tremendous reorganization and sort of flattening of organizational boundaries. At a point in time, you really needed all hands on deck. Different specialties needed to come together to care for patients. And it didn't matter if you were... At the top of the hierarchy or at the bottom of the hierarchy, or if you were a surgeon or an ophthalmologist or anything else, at some point everybody needed to be working together in a coordinated fashion. This has been, I think, the narrative of what hospitals have experienced. And the hypothesis that I'm trying to study here, the, the idea that I'm trying, what I want to understand is whether management helped, the quality of management helped hospitals reorganize. During the pandemic and subsequently also go back to normal when these pandemic waves are subsiding. And you know, so far, I'm gonna tell you more about how I'm getting at the data collection, uh, but my sense is that this is a worthwhile question addressing because typically we don't really pay attention to these organizational factors when it comes to healthcare. There is much more attention on the clinical depth of expertise. But the clinical staff and clinical expertise needs to be coordinated. And that's where management, I think, can really play an important role.
0: So maybe it's time for us to really dive into some of the preliminary findings from this research. It sounds like I believe that management and leadership is critical for a lot of the organizational change that needed to happen in these hospitals. Just like many other companies in the private sector had to change their workforce, the services they provide, and the channel that they use. So what does your current research findings say? Do you find some indicators and strong correlations of management practices and how they were able to change their organizational structure and their ability to both respond to the COVID and return
1: back to their normal services? Okay, so for the finding, we need to talk in a year time. <laughs> That's it. Mm-hmm. So what, what we're doing now, and in a sense COVID has been a serendipitous event, but um, about four years ago I started a collaboration with the US Census, which you know is very interested in understanding productivity and in general this variation in performance across different parts of the economy. They realized that they didn't know much about hospitals. And so we've been working together to collect data on management and organizational practices across a very large sample of US hospitals. We started four years ago. We didn't know about COVID. It so happens that the data collection started just now in July 2021. Uh, And so, so far, we are at almost 2,000 hospitals out of a population of 5,000 in the United States. So this is the largest evidence collected so far on these issues of management in uh, in healthcare. And as far as the implications for COVID are, are concerned, it's too early because the data is coming out now. The outcomes are really coming out now. But what we are seeing so far is something that we've seen also in other contexts, which is this massive variation in management quality. Which you know tends to be correlated with with size. I these are all things that you would expect in the data. Still, too early to do any sort of uh, precise quantification. Anything that comes out of the U.S. Census, in any case, has to be vetted by them totally before before it can be discussed publicly. But you know, my hope is that this will really give us the instrument to answer these questions. I have one piece of evidence that comes from a case study, though, and I wonder if whether that, and that. To me, it's something that you know is helping me think through these questions, together with my colleague Francesca Gino, who is also at Harvard Business School and who is also Italian, we run uh, we've done a video case study on the Hospital of Lodi. So the Hospital of Lodi, you probably don't remember that. Nobody, I don't think you would if you're not Italian. But it was the first hospital in the Western world to deal with COVID. They were hit in March of 2020. Initially, they didn't even know that they had a COVID patient and they went from zero to hundreds of patients in a matter of days. So that that we did an in-depth study of how they responded and the amount of transformation and organizational innovation that they experienced in those few months where really they didn't know there was no best practice, no benchmark is just tremendous. All the things that I described to you the removal of hierarchical barriers, the removal of barriers across disciplines, this hospital was able to really do that and come together uh, facing the emergency. So something happened during the emergency. But it's also interesting because not a lot remained after the emergency. They were able to work as a team as they never did before early on. I think in part, thanks to enlightened managers at the top, but if you talk to them, they will tell you that after the immediate emergency, somehow old routines and the old way of doing things came back. And, and I think that that's also an interest, something that will be very interesting to understand over time, which organizations retained, retained the learnings and which organizations actually went back to normal. Thank you for sharing your insights, at least from this case study in Italy. It sounds very <laughs> fascinating.
0: Because we're doing this podcast for Center for Inter- International Development. I'm curious to hear your thoughts on how the management capabilities matter in a developing country context, uh, where they, they usually face a lot more financial constraints and dealing with a lot of variants of COVID as well. So how does your prior and current research inform how hospitals' ability to respond to new variants differ across developed versus developing countries? And is there any practical recommendations or insights that you have around how health agencies or international organizations could kind of take your understanding of managing repair practices to the developing country context? Yeah.
1: Okay. so the research that I mentioned before, the longstanding non-COVID research was actually covering both developed and developing countries. So we ran, this was a massive data collection that included both countries in the uh, in Europe and the United States, as well as India, uh, Brazil, and then uh, eventually other people took the same methodology and extended it to some African countries. And at a high level, I can tell you that the main findings, massive variation, And correlations of variation with uh, clinical outcomes are found in both developed and developing economies. So at the high level, the same results hold. Um, And a team of researchers at Johns Hopkins actually took some of the correlational finding one step further and they ran an experiment where they cause, you know, they randomly allocated some, in this case was primary care facilities, to a treatment of management, you know, a management training, and evaluated the causal effect of this treatment on the on the clinical outcomes that were generated in this uh, in these facilities, finding that there were positive effects. So that's to my knowledge, this is the, you know, it's a super fascinating experiment that sort of moves from the correlational evidence to the causal evidence. My sense is the following in a place where there is resources are constrained in a sense being more effective from a managerial standpoint could be even more important because it helps you in principle it helps you allocate resources in an, you know in a, in a more efficient way and when resources are constrained that's that's really important at the same time changing management and un- understanding the reason for the variation in quality I think we still have a lot to learn there. It would be naive to believe that it's just a matter of you know, how you would do with a light switch that from one day to the other, I'm, I'm gonna make you a great manager and everything, or I'm gonna put a great manager in a facility and things are going to change. What you have to confront is the fact that sometimes what look to me as managerial inefficiencies are actually outcomes of different norms, uh, different types of interactions, I, I can tell you that from some observatory work that I did in India, you know, sometimes you look at, at the relationship between nurses and doctors and you realize that, you know, sometimes nurses may be much better in sort of managing the day by day. They have the contact with the patient. They would have more information. They'd probably be great managers, you know, from an operational standpoint, but the hierarchical distance between the nurses and the doctors are so large that. It's very difficult to empower them, and it's very difficult to, you know, really allocate responsibilities where 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 it should be. So my sense is, you know, high level, same same type of correlations, evidence that things can, you know, that improving management can causally uh, improve performance, but still a lot to learn on the underlying frictions on why we see this variation.
0: I actually want to dive a little deeper to some of the factors that you just mentioned from India's example. I really want to know, I'm sure you've come across a lot of hospitals with weak leadership or operational inefficiency. And how, from a strategy perspective, how can these hospitals really improve on in these areas? Is it just simply leadership or a talent problem or a matter of funding, culture, or other external factors? All
1: over the boat. Yeah, no, it's it's tough. And I mean, it's tough in a developing country. It's tough in a developed country, to be honest. It, it, it's tough everywhere. It, you cannot, you, you have to start from leadership in the sense that, you know, places like hospitals are places where you have experts and people who you know, have great domain expertise and they are the front line, you know, they are the front line of operations. It's very difficult to boss around the doctor. So it's very difficult to impose a new routine. At the end of the day, management practices are routines. You cannot just order people around because of this, you know, deep expertise, experts really running the show. So I think that, you know, here it's a place where leadership and in particular having leaders who are able to establish new norms of behavior to signal what's important and what's not can really make a profound difference. The trick from what I'm seeing, from my own research, from what I observe on the ground and talking to people who are in in this business, uh, really not not for, you know, not pretending like me as an economist, is that you need to find a way to generate buy-in. So you need to signal that change is coming. You need to signal that change is important. You would be very naive to believe that you could just order or pay for change. There needs to be a conviction at the base of the hospital and the doctors and the nurses, that this type, the type of organizational changes that you are trying to, to introduce are beneficial to the patient and are also beneficial to themselves as professionals. So that Im- involves a lot of patient work and being able to understand when is the time to centralize and you know, retain control and when it's actually time to let the uh, different experts go with the type of tools that you want them to use. Great.
0: And I want to now, you've talked about the leadership within the hospitals and I'm mindful that a lot of our audience are coming in interested in working in more of like the government or the international development agency perspective. So if you are working in the role of local governments, international development agencies, private sectors that are coming in and working with the hospitals for capacity building, how can these organizations work together with these hospitals to build a more resilient and equitable health systems around the world? Is there something that they can do in order to kind of push and nudge
1: cultural change or get buy-in and develop capacity? Yeah obviously this is complex right this is not a solution where you say of course follow x and y and change will happen and we will all be happy i think this is difficult so i would divide uh, i would divide the problem in uh, you know different steps i think the first step is really shedding the knowledge I, i'm always constantly surprised by the uh, amount of informational gaps Uh, that are pervasive in the public sector, in the private sector, in uh, developing countries, in developed countries. And when I talk about informational gaps, I think it plays out on two levels. One, often organizations don't know that they are behind a frontier, so there needs to be some sort of diagnosis and self-assessment. And sometimes they see, you know, there are some types of, of technologies, managerial technologies that may be beneficial to them. but They don't even, um, they don't know, for example, how to apply lean management or these things that are well known, but somehow the implementation steps are not clear to everyone. So I think that on one level, there is a lot of work to do on the information side to help organizations understand where they are and to diffuse knowledge that is codified in theory, but not in practice, the implementation piece. And then I would say the second piece is really building this cultural You know, norms, which are not necessarily related to uh, incentives from a monetary standpoint, but maybe something that has to do with creating champions and, uh, you know, helping peers or uh, organizations within a certain local area that have excelled in the adoption of, uh, of new organizational practices or managerial practices demonstrate to others that this change is possible and it's beneficial. I much prefer that type of educational approach to the dissemination of these techniques, to you know start settings where you put people in a classroom or you have a Harvard professor lecturing practitioners. Because frankly, you know if, if you put a Harvard professor, <laughs> you know, not you know inc- present people included, right, or a hospital manager who has really done it, that person has so much more credibility and can really influence how people think about the problems. So I would really, you know, encourage to think about issues from the perspective of the practitioner, and in particular, from the perspective of the practitioner who is in the field, who is in the same area. Yeah, that really resonates with me. The final question,
0: now that we've kind of taken a look at more of the macro-organizational side, I'm mindful of also people, individuals, young health policymakers medical practitioners, and academics who are studying right now and are listening to your podcast today. Based on your research around healthcare systems around the world, do you have any insights or advice you want to make to those individuals on how they can build up their managerial practices so that they can really be helpful in building that equitable health system around the world?
1: yeah I mean, look, I think it's there is a ton to do, and you know one advice would be if you are if you decide to be in this area, you need to speak the language of the practitioners. And so I'm always uh, you know I have great admiration, for example, for the students that come along my way that are doing this MD MBAs program. So these are real you know these are physicians who go through medical school but are at the same time getting managerial training. And, in a way, they are probably the best positions to position to do this this type of cultural change that we discussed. They are credible vis-a-vis the physicians, but they also have access to managerial knowledge. So I think one at one level, being able to be credible in a play vis-a-vis the specialist is super important. The second piece is get experience, get in the field. Management is something that i I think you constantly learn from people who are innovating in the front line. And you cannot just be uh, theoretic. If you want to ignite change, you really need to know what's happening in the ground. So my sense is, A, get, get educated in these different fields, and second, try to be as you know, concrete as possible and gain practical experience. That's the place where you understand the frictions, where the frictions are.
0: Right, Rafaela, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us and giving us your concrete advices and examples of managerial practices and why they matter for our health system. My pleasure. Thank you for your questions. You can learn more about Center for International Development and CID's Beyond COVID Initiative at CIE at harvard.edu. Thanks for listening and we'll see you back soon.